Genesis chapter 8. So if you're new, here's where we're at in the story. We're in the middle of a flood. Noah has spent a hundred years preparing an ark. Animals get on, he gets on, God shuts the door, it rains. At verse one of chapter eight, he's been on the boat for about 190 days. Just waiting and wondering what's next. That's a long time. You ever been in that position where you're just kind of stuck in a box and you're waiting, wondering, what do I do next? What's happening? Where's God? Why haven't I heard from him? I'm praying, I'm asking for direction. I'm shutting this thing, I can't open the door. You ever been in that position? That's Noah. Noah's in a box, shut up. It's dark, it's stinky. There's manure, there's urine, there's, you know, it's just gross. It's getting grosser every single day. And he does not know what's gonna happen next. He's clueless, right? Well, that's chapter eight. Chapter eight is for us when we're in those positions. You can call it uh, being in a box, you can call it being in a desert, whatever it is. Most believers, in fact, I would say all believers have an arc time or a desert time or multiple arc times and desert times. We just go through them. Read Hosea, right? Hosea chapter two. It happens all the time. Read Jeremiah chapter 20. Every single person has a dark desert time. Read 2 Corinthians chapter one. Paul, I despaired of life itself. Moses gets to that point as well, all right? Elijah in his cave. So here it is. Here's another one of these. All right, in this journey that we all go on, how do we navigate those times? Stuck in a box, been 190 days, and I haven't heard anything, and I don't know what to do. All right, so let's go. Number one, verses one through five is this. God remembers. But God remembered Noah, chapter eight, verse one, and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the water had abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventh day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. God remembers. Now, what does that mean? Is God like you and me, kind of forgetful? You ever struggle with forgetfulness? On Sunday, I went to a soccer game, been to a lot of soccer games recently, and I'm there and somebody from church comes up and uh, it's a couple and, and I'm, hey, how are you doing? All right. And, and the wife asked, do you remember our name? I was like, oh no. I remembered his name. I'm like, oh yeah, Mario. And then she's like, yeah, but what's my name? I'm like, it's on the tip of my tongue. I know it. And she's like, shh. I'm like, shh. 
She's like, share, 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 sherry. Nope. Ah. <laughs> like, ah. Mm. Dale Carnegie said this. He said, when you speak somebody's name, it's sweet as honey. I say when you forget somebody's name, it's like feeding them raw Brussels sprouts. They're like, ah, you. <laughs> in heaven, do you know in heaven, we're going to have our names tattooed on our heads? Happy day. I think we should start right now. Membership at Edgewater is you get a tattoo of your name on just your forehead. Hey, what's up? Ah, I know your name. <laughs> I think in heaven, that's why. It's so you don't forget and you're like, hey, I know everybody because they got their names tattooed on their head. Brilliant. It's just brilliant. We're forgetful, right? You ever forgotten your kids somewhere? I should rephrase that. This last week, have you forgotten your kids somewhere? Like, uh, I've got five. Sometimes I'm like, hey, there's only four with us right now. Hmm, okay. Right? We're for, is that what God is? Is he forgetful? Is his to-do list too long? He's like, oh my goodness, Noah. Oh, dude, I've totally spaced him. He's in a box down there. Oh, great. No. So Isaiah 49, verse 15 says this. Can a nursing mom forget her baby? It's a rhetorical question. God says, neither can I forget you because I have you engraved on the palm of my hand. That's not what this is talking about, okay? I love it's a nursing mom. When your baby wakes up nursing mom, could you forget about that baby? Husbands can, we just roll over and put a pillow over our head. Like, Moms can't. That's how powerful that is. Like my wife, we went to Israel for three weeks. Every night she FaceTimed our kids. Every single night. She'd get up like that because the time difference, she'd be down there at like one in the morning. I'm snoozing. I've done a ton of mission trips with guys. We'd be like, hey, we should call our families or go spearfishing. <laughs> Let's go spearfishing, right? <laughs> It's God saying, I'm like that super caring mom. I cannot forget. So what does this mean when it begins, God remembered Noah? We're gonna see this echoed throughout Genesis. And here's what it means. It means when God remembers, it's he is ready to act. So you can look, chapter nine, verse 15, I'll just read it. God says, I will remember my covenant. Not that he'd forgotten it. I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. God's saying there, I'm gonna remember this covenant. And because I remember this covenant, I will protect the earth. I will act. So, when you see the term God remembers, it means now he is ready to act. He's ready to do something. So what is his action? It's recreation. So you can look at Genesis 1 and 2 and compare it to Genesis 8 and 9 and they're mirror images of, of each other. There's a deep sea. There's all these things, water, land, birds, animals. Noah and his family, not birthed out of the earth, but birthed out of the ark again to repopulate. There's the mandate given again. You are my image bearers. Go, be fruitful and multiply. It's recreation. So God now acts to recreate. But notice, real quick, who it says God remembers. He remembered Noah and 
all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. He remembers humans, the Imago Dei, the pinnacle of creation. But he also remembers all the animals. See, God loves his creation. He loves the rabbits and he loves the horses and he loves the cows and he loves the goats and he loves the bunny rabbits. He loves everything. And I think it's very important for us to realize that because sometimes there can be this mentality in a conservative kind of circle where it's like, hey, earth first, we'll log the other planets later. Just clear the place, it doesn't matter. No way. God loves, he made the earth and he loved everything he made. We are stewards over this place. We're supposed to take really good care of it. Taking the raw things that God has put into this world and then create beauty out of it, more beauty, just like God took the raw ingredients of the hot audits in chapter one and made more beauty out of it. We're supposed to do the same thing. We should leave the planet more beautiful, more creative, taking its raw stuff. So God remembers everything he created. And then one final point is this. What's the signal that God then shows that he has remembered Noah and that he's going to recreate? It's the very first thing you see, and it's hugely important. It's verse one, and God made a wind blow. So he makes this wind to blow over the water. Do you remember where you've seen that before? Where? Chapter one, verse two, right? The spirit, same word, ruach, translated in the Old Testament, ruach is wind, breath, spirit. The ruach hovered over the chaos of the deep water and then out of that came recreation. Out of the chaos of the deep, chapter one, verse two, then comes all this beauty and order that comes out of it. Here, the carnage of the flood is stopped when God's ruach, his spirit, begins to blow over the water and out of that blowing comes recreation. We studied Ezekiel right before Genesis. Chapter one begins with Ezekiel in Babylon, the most evil city in the entire Bible. He's outside of it in a refugee camp, sitting by a sewage canal, just bemoaning life. Like, I am stuck here in this miserable, wicked place. And then what happens? There's a Ruach storm. God's spirit begins to move. And Ezekiel just falls on his face. I can't believe God's in this wicked place. He's here with me. I can't believe this. And then you have from there the movement of Ezekiel to new creation. It culminates. The end of Ezekiel is we go live in a city, and the name of that city is Yahweh's there. Right? Right? This is a biblical theme. Chaos, flood, those kind of things, the Babylons, they are ceased in our life when the Ruach blows, when God's spirit moves. Do you feel like you're in a flood? Do you feel like you're in a wicked spot? Do you feel like there's chaos in your life? What stops it What recreates something better is God's Ruach. Oh, Matt, I've been waiting a long time. I've been in a box a long time. It doesn't feel like that. What did Noah have to do? 
He had to wait. 40 days of rain, rain stops. One day of no rain, two days of no rain, three, 30 days, 50 days, 150 days of no rain. Can you imagine that? Like, you just be going, what in the world? What's taking God so long? He had to wait. In Acts chapter two, when God's spirit comes upon the church, what they have to first do? They're in the upper room, 10 days, and it says they were waiting up there. They're waiting. We have, I think, as a generation, lost the ability to wait on the Lord. We just don't do it anymore. I was in this meeting of kind of pretty important people. I don't know really why I was there, but we listened to this lecture and then it was, it was in these dialogue things where you get in these groups of about, there was probably 12 or 13 in my group. And uh, you were, we were dialoguing about some stuff. And it was very interesting because people would say things and, hey, I'm so-and-so and I'm CEO of this and that. And, I, and I'm listening and they would talk. And then when they were done talking and somebody else would talk, guess what they would do? Phones out right? I'm like, wow, that is so rude. <laughs> I tried to keep quiet, but I couldn't. I didn't mention that, but I was like, I'm not going to talk at all this, but I couldn't. I had to, I had to talk. I have, that, <laughs> I have that curse. But I just thought, how rude is that? Like the moment you're done sharing what you want to share, you're good. Like, I don't want to listen to me. We can't even listen to people in the same room as us now. People at, watch at a restaurant, how often people pull out their phone they can't even listen to the person in the room that they can see. How in the world are we going to ever hear from God's spirit? Man, it's, it's just going to be impossible. We, it's going to be a fight. If you feel like you're in a chaos or a flood or in evil situations, go wait on the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait on the Lord shall mount up with wings like eagle. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. When do you get all that stuff? When you wait on the Lord. Put everything down, put on your walking shoes and go for a walk and talk and listen. That's what you have to do now. You have to discipline yourself because if you bring something, it will suck you back into the chaos. You have to say, Lord, I wanna clear my mind and get where I can actually hear you. So Noah is forced to do that. He doesn't have any option. He's in a box. So he had to wait. And then God's ruach begins to move and there's recreation. Next, though, very important. Noah doesn't just sit around. Look what he does. He investigates, verse six. At the end of the 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot and she returned to him to the ark for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days. And again, he sent forth the, ark, the dove out of the ark and the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth a dove and she did not return to him anymore. If you've heard this taught, there's a lot of like conjecture on the raven and the dove. 
right? The raven is this evil bird and, you know, it doesn't come back. And the dove is God's spirit, right? And in verse nine, it says that Noah reached out and grabbed a hold of the dove. You got to reach out and grab a hold of that spirit, man. You got to do that. I don't necessarily believe all that stuff. Here's what I think. I think sometimes we look back at people, ancient people and, and um, we think they're stupid. Like, like, like they're almost like idiots. C.S. Lewis called it chronological snobbery. That somehow in the 21st century, we're actually much more intelligent and we have much more wisdom than ancient people did. So C.S. Lewis just said, that's the stupidest thing in the world. They were brilliant people back then. And then the other thing we do is we over-spiritualize stuff. I don't, I don't over-spiritualize things. I just want to see what the text actually says. Here, here's what I believe. I think old people, ancient peoples were incredibly intelligent. Maybe not as much knowledge as we have. They didn't have Google. But man, they are super, super smart. So have you heard of this city? It's called Puma Punka. Anybody heard of that city? Brilliant city. So right now they believe Jericho is the oldest city. Charity and I went and saw Jericho when we were at Israel. It's mud brick. It looks like something my three-year-old Myron would make out of clay. Like it's just, hey, that's really silly looking. Puma Pinka, they believe is actually older. It's in South America. It's pre-Inca. They don't know how it exists. It's unbelievable. It's made of these stones. Just Google it. They're cut. It looks like they've been cut with a laser. There's not a chisel mark on them. They don't know how they made the stones. They're perfect. They're unbelievable. It had a working sewage system that drained it out. It had a working irrigation system that brought in like fresh water. They also found recently, it actually had the internet. I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, it's a brilliant city. And they're thinking 10,000 plus years old. Like it's probably the oldest city ever. And it's brilliant. I think ancient people were super smart. I think Noah's super smart. Here's what ancient mariners did. They would let a bird go. They would actually take birds with them because here's what a bird can do that you and I cannot do. Fly. Guess what you can do when you get up high? You can see. Guess what you might see? Guess what you'd fly towards if you were a bird? Right? So if they're out there like, man, I don't know where we're at. Where's land? Guess what they do? They let a bird go and they watch the bird. If it flies around and comes back, then they know, man, there's no land around. If it flies around and flies in a direction, they're like, okay, that's the way we need to go. Isn't that really smart? Yeah, that's super smart. Okay? So ravens, if you don't know this, are considered to be one of the most intelligent birds in existence. New York City, they took ravens and they trained them to pick up money and bring it over to this machine and drop it into it. And when they drop in the money into the machine, it would give them a little pebble of food. Those ravens then taught their kids the same trick. And now those kids, they're like on the seventh generation. There's a massive flock of ravens that fly over Brookie, uh, Brookings, not Brookings, Brooklyn, Manhattan, New York City, all day picking up money and bringing it back to this machine all the time. Super, super smart. I think Noah knew that, smart animal. It's gonna go out. If it can survive on its own, it will not come back. And it did it. Doves are very different. Doves are homing. They come back to a home. So Noah knows this. If it finds a good spot, it'll hang out for the day, but it'll come back. So the first day he lets it go, it goes around and it, and it comes back to him. But the second day, notice it says, it's verse 10, verse 11, excuse me. The dove came back to him in the evening. So he knows this, it had somewhere to land. 
because it cannot fly all day long. The first time it flies out, nothing good comes back. Second night, goes out, does whatever it's doing, finds some trees, and then comes back in the evening. So he knows, aha, we're getting closer and closer and closer. Noah's just a smart dude. So he has to wait, no doubt. But when he's waiting, guess what he's doing? He's investigating. He's trying doors. He's trying to figure it out. Sometimes I think we believe waiting on the Lord just means I'm gonna sit at home and just think holy thoughts. No way. Noah didn't do that. He's like, what could I do right now? How could I investigate my situation? How can I find some? He did everything in his power to learn about a situation. I tell people all the time, I just don't know what God wants me to do. I just say, do something. Do something, man. Because I found this, the more involved I am, the more information I seem to get. The more I talk with people, the more I'm moving, the more I'm chatting. It's like all of a sudden God moves through his body and through my involvement. I think the old adage might be right. God cannot steer a parked car. Just get moving. And then all of a sudden God begins to get you where you need to be. It's like, Moses, like Noah here. He, I'm gonna investigate. I'm gonna check this out. Do that. Volunteer at a hospital. Do, just do something. And then watch and see how God uses what you're doing then to get you to the next spot where he wants you to go. So investigate. Now is the arrival. Verse 13. In the 600 and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 20th, 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. So you got one year and 10 days. Noah and his family had been in this box. Then God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may swarm on the earth. That should be a phrase that is familiar to you. It's taken directly from the creation narrative of chapter one, the swarming. Be fruitful and multiply on the earth. Once again, the blessing to the animals and the blessing to the Imago Dei. Be fruitful and multiply. It's recreation. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird Everything that moves on the earth went out by the families from the ark. This is arrival. You ever been on a long trip? The longest trip I have been on, it was 48 hours door to door. I was in India with my entire family, 2009. So Elijah, at then my youngest, was one year old. And we got on a plane in Chennai and we started flying from there to Frankfurt. An hour into that flight, I've got Elijah in my arms trying to get him to sleep. And all of a sudden I feel a really warm spot on my arm. So I head to the bathroom, he had diarrhea and it was all over me and all over him. So I just stripped him naked. There is stuff going everywhere. I'm trying to clean it up with, with paper towels and whatever. It was like 
paper mache without the mache, just everywhere in that bathroom. Then I put him in the little, in the little sink. You know, he's in this little sink. I'm trying to wash him. You know, you got to press the button the whole time. And man, it was just like, I took all of his clothes and just threw him away, gone. Got him cleaned up. But me, I had one shirt and I'm wearing it. And it smelled like diarrhea. So for the next 48 hours, I'm like, ah, oh, man, can't get away from my arm. Three hours into that flight, my oldest daughter, Carissa, at the time nine, starts puking just puking all over the place. So now we're like, oh, great, she's puking. Three hours after that, my youngest daughter, Gabrielle, she starts puking all over the place. So then she's out. We get off that plane, get into Frankfurt. Now we're just trying to clean up, you know, and the bathroom's there and it's just gross and we're just waiting, get on the airplane from Frankfurt into Portland. And then Isabella, my second daughter, she starts puking. So uh, we start to notice on them, they start breaking out with chicken pox because the orphanage we had been on had had an outbreak two weeks before, which is the germination time. Like, oh, that's awesome. So now they're getting chicken pox on this flight. So they're trying to get like spots up their neck. And then I'm worried about like, will we be quarantined if they see this? So then you got to feel like that manifesto. It's like, have you been around livestock? No. Are you carrying any diseases into our country? Eh. Optimistically, No. <laughs> All right, so I filled out that card. You know, we get up, we're going through the immigration line. We get up to the dude. I hand him the card. We're all there, just looking like death warmed over now. I stink. It smells like puke. It's just gross. I'm standing there like, hi. He starts going down the list. Like, you know, they ask you the question. So, all right, where have you been? All right, okay. have you been around the livestock? No. Um, any diseases? Right when he said that, Gabriel just goes, bah! pukes all over the place. I'm like, I don't know, sir, you tell me. He just kind of looks over, go, go, just go. He didn't want any more of it, man. He's just like, get out of here. That was 48 hours. Imagine one year and 10 days on a family or on a boat in a box with just your family and in-laws. Have you seen the movie Noah? You know, he goes insane. I think that's actually what would happen. No, just like, ah, I just went, ah, right? You know, within the first couple of months, they ate all the good food. What's left? They're living on like turnips. They're looking at that cow just going, oh man, oh, oh man. Just, can we just take like its leg? Can we take something from it? Oh, it looks so good, right? I mean, really put this in context. Miserable, miserable. Here's what's interesting to me. It took six days for God to create the earth from nothing. Recreation takes 50 times longer. That's interesting to me. You ever done a remodel? <laughs> Do remodels take longer than original creations? Fully. You ever had a bad habit? They say golfing. If you get a bad habit in golf, just give up. Because like to retrain yourself out of a bad habit, how you swing a golf club is just about impossible. Because once it gets in you, it's in, if you learn it right the first time, it's super easy, six days. You learn it wrong to unlearn it 50 times harder. Recreation takes 50 times longer. There's another recreation and you have a really wicked thing. That, there's a system in, in Genesis, really wickedness, Genesis six flood. In chapter 11, we hit something really wicked. It's called Babylon. God then does something, confuses the language, and then Genesis 12 is recreation through Abraham. Abraham, bud, I'm gonna make you the father of many. 
I'm going to use you. You're gonna be a blessing to all nations. I'm gonna recreate through you. But guess how long it takes for Abraham's recreation to happen in the land? 400 years. You gotta wait though, 400 years. The next recreation takes even longer. Six days, one year plus 400 years. The final recreation by Jesus Because Jesus says this, it's in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. I'm renewing all things. I'm bringing you a brand new world. That's what revelation is. I'm bringing you a brand new world. Guess how long that took? Was it six hours on a Friday afternoon? We celebrate on Good Friday? Uh Uh-uh. Because Revelation 13, eight says this, he was slain before the foundation of the world to recreate the world that we will exist in for eternity, took God the Son, his eternity. I'm giving it for you. On this Friday, Good Friday, think about that. Think about all that Jesus gave up so that he could have you and me in a new creation that's free from all the curse. He gave up his eternity. That's an amazing love. Let me read for you one passage on that. You know it well, but I'll just remind you of it. It's Romans chapter eight. It's brilliant. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know why? Because he gave his eternity for us. He gave his absolute best for us. That's what we celebrate on Good Friday. It's unbelievable. So now you've got Noah and God's response. Verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to Yahweh and took some of the clean animal and and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when Yahweh smelled the pleasing aroma, Yahweh said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Blood's over, arcs opened, and you've got Noah responding to this. And you also have God's response to Noah's response to it. So here's Noah. He builds an altar and sacrifices some of the animals. Now, it may be that after spending an entire year with some of the animals, he wanted to kill them. It's really possible. Like that stubborn donkey, kill that thing. Get it out here. Maybe that with his family and in-laws in a box for a year, he had a lot of confession to do. That may be it as well. But seriously, here's what I believe. I believe new creation begins with worship. That God is sending a signal here. This is the first time an altar is mentioned. 
new creation, personally even, begins with worship. In the midst of chaos and flood and waiting, it's, if you want new creation, you worship. That's what Noah does. And here's what amazes me. It's God's response. And it says God smelled it and God said in his heart, and it pleased him. The last time we saw God's heart was back in chapter six, where God's looking at the wickedness of the world. And it says this, it grieved God's heart. So you've got God's heart grieved in chapter six. Now you've got Noah making an offering on an altar and it's as if it soothes God's heart. It's pleasing and God's heart is soothed. That to me is very interesting when you look forward to the prophets like Isaiah, like Isaiah 53, I'll read it for you. Speaking of the work of Jesus, listen to this. Isaiah 53, verse 10. This entire, these are, you know this one. This is a magnificent prophecy of what Jesus would accomplish on the cross. He has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. We have seen him stricken by God, right? He was pierced for our transgressions. But down in verse 10, it's this fascinating little phrase, yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him, to put him to grief. That's a hard statement. It was the will of Yahweh to crush Jesus, to put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he, God, shall see and be satisfied. It was God's will to crush Jesus. And he's gonna see it and be satisfied. Why? Because finally, creation will be redeemed. Finally, this thing that God loves will be redeemed. Finally, it will be put back on track. Finally, the cycle of sin and death and all this horrible stuff. Ah, finally, it's as if heart, the heart of God, once again, is soothed because of the sacrifice of God the Son. It's brilliant. So it's rebooted by this offering. It's amazing. And then God says this. He really says in these verses, it's pretty simple. Man's gonna be sinful. I said this, what got on the ark? Last Wednesday, you had animals, you had Noah's family. Guess what else got on the ark? Sin. Sin got on that ark too. We'll see that in chapter nine when Noah blows it, when his son blows it, you know, sin got on the ark with them. So God is being super honest. Man's going to be sinful, but, but I'll protect him. I'm going to protect him against the forces of nature. So I'm gonna make nature absolutely predictable. There's going to be seasons. There's going to be day. There's going to be night. There's going to be harvest. There's going to be seed time. I'm going to make earth safe for my humans. That's what God says. Man's going to be wicked, but even in his wickedness, I'll protect him. Isn't that amazing? It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. He's going to be wicked, but it doesn't even matter. I will still protect him. You know why our world is not Mad Max or Book of Eli or something? You know why it's not? Because God's been faithful. You look at sociologists, they think, ah, it doesn't really make sense why it hasn't gone really, really south. I, I think it makes sense. Because God said, I'll protect man from himself, and I'll protect him from nature. 
I'll make it so predictable. You know a farmer's almanac? Have you ever read those things? They're amazing. They were written hundreds of years ago. Just people begin to see, hey, there's these cycles, like seven years and five years. So we start predicting out what it's going to look like. El Nino, you hear about that? Hey, El Nino this year, look out. It's going to mean this kind of weather. Why? It's because God has made this world predictable. Chaos theory says it should not be predictable. And yet it is. Because God said, even though you're wicked, I will protect you. It's why throughout the Bible, there is this theme of the people of God, when they look for protection, what do they do? They run to the shadow of his wings. So if we're worried about floods or the wickedness of Babylon or worried about the chaos of our own hearts, what are you gonna do? You're gonna stockpile weapons? We shouldn't. We should say, God's our protector. God's our protector. He is the one that's able to keep the floods in place. He is the one that's able to tame the chaos. He's the one that's able to push back wickedness. He's the one. So I wanna do one thing and I'm done. I wanna read for you Psalm 20. I don't want you to turn there. I want you to just listen very carefully to this Psalm as if God had written it for you. Because I think it sums up Noah and the ark, the waiting, the hardship, the wondering, the questioning, the, ah, what's going on, God? It's one of my favorite Psalms. So just listen to Psalm 20 as I read it for you. May Yahweh answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May Yahweh fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that Yahweh saves his anointed. He will answer from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of Yahweh, our God. So Jesus, may that be true for each of us. No matter what ark, what box, what flood, what Babylon, what chaos we are in, may we not trust in chariots or horses, but may we trust in you, our God and Savior. May your ruach blow over and recreate the messes in our own lives, Lord God. May your ruach blow over this city and may this Sunday we see brand new creations in Christ Jesus being made. And we pray this in your name, amen. Amen, God bless you guys.